Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out! Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He ducks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Hello, Rody Nation, and welcome to the second episode of the Rody Baseline. My name is Andrew. I'm with my co-host, Gary, and we have a special episode planned for you guys as you guys dig out from the great blizzard of 2020. <laughs> now, just so everybody understands, we are recording this on Wednesday, so it is currently snowing outside right now. We, we don't really know how much snow, so hopefully, if depending where you are, I know where Andrew is, there's about 18 inches that fell, or maybe more at this point, and where I am, it's about 12. So hopefully you uh, you got yourself snowed in uh, and enjoyed, uh, hopefully, the day off from school or work that, you, uh, that you've received. Or you're listening to us while you're uh, snowblowing or shoveling out that driveway like I'll be doing tomorrow. Yeah, but we have a great show planned for this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the Western Kentucky game, unfortunately, from last Sunday. And then talk about our A-10 conference preview, uh, where we're going to go over all the teams in the A-10 uh, and kind of go through it, uh, let you guys know who's where, what's going on with those teams, and uh, what we should expect from this year. Uh, but before we do, I do want to make sure to plug the podcast. If you're listening to us, thank you. Make sure you do leave us a five-star review. Uh, and also make sure you subscribe to us. We are available on all major streaming platforms. That includes iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher. I I, I can na- I can continue naming, but there, there's way too many to to list but make sure you go through and subscribe to us uh and make sure you like us on facebook facebook.com slash baseline and then on twitter at roadie baseline all right let's jump in and start talking about the scheduled last non-conference game of the year so far which was against western kentucky out in bowling green unfortunately uri fell 68 to 65 they had a chance to tie it at the end and send the game into overtime but they were not able to Hit the last couple free throws, but boy, did that game give you a give us a lot of topics to talk about and a lot, a lot for the team to work on, Gary. There's one thing that I want to bring up, and, and I've been waiting on this. I haven't said anything to you, but I've been waiting on it. I'm a little upset at Western Kentucky because they followed the Andrew rule at the end of the game. So obviously, with the with Western Kentucky with the 68-65 lead. With about 10 seconds to go, Rhodey was able to inbound the ball and gave it to Fats Russell, and he was fouled passing the half-court line, uh, giving only two shots when they needed to get the three-point play. And it's something that Andrew always talks about, about how they should follow the end of the game and make them win it on free throws and get two free throws and ha- you know have to try to get that third point, right? Absolutely, Gary. That's one of my biggest, biggest things I always say at the end of the game. When it gets down to that point in the game, it's all about the numbers. If you can foul somebody and only get two shots, you're up three, and then you're a good free throw and shoot free throw shooting team. 
you just knock down your free throws, you win. If and they're, they're, you keep doing that, you'll always have a three-point lead. And you trade twos for twos, you can never close that basket. As long as something freaky doesn't happen, which Fats almost, I will say Fats almost did get a shot off to get the three free throws, but 90% of the time it works out where that two, that fouled up three is the way to go. And I, am, I applaud Western Kentucky for doing it. I wish more teams would do it. But it just it sucks that it hurt us this time. I, I, I saw it happen in, in my head. And anybody who, you know, can tell, I was literally screaming at the TV, why do they have to do it? They're so smart, blah, 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 like exactly how how we always say that it should happen and no team does it. And they, they were smart about it. But, yeah, Fats almost didn't get the shot off. And I thought that he was going to. I saw him go through, but I knew they were going to call it only uh, two free throws. And it also stunk because – uh, Western Kentucky was also very smart because Rhodey was still uh, not in the double bonus. So they were looking at one and one. And obviously, Fats did miss the first free throw. And Western Kentucky got the ball to close the game. But let's be honest, Gary. It should not have gotten to that point with the amount of easy layups and that URI missed along with their boxing out issues. I can remember countless times where there were simple layups that were missed that could have accounted for the four points to come up the boxing out issues that led to rebounds that they missed and Charles Bassey is all that and more with his five blocks and he had and some of the crazy putback dunks it's just the layups and boxing out is what killed them. it's funny we we talked a lot about Charles Bassey last week in the first episode of the podcast and obviously he showed up to play and he he's a phenomenal player and and tall and those block there was the one block down uh, I think it was like the the career block that he reached some record or something and that block w- was was dirty it was it was very very good so we we just had trouble down there it also didn't help that we just continue again with a slow start in the beginning of the game like that that's a tough one. It's it's really really hard to to come out through. Uh, you right had a tough time getting a basket in stuff that plagued us throughout the whole game, but just uh, a tough start. Rhodey was down eight nothing at the you know f- almost at the first time out, which which is pretty pretty sad too. Like they they just need to come out of their shell a little bit more. Obviously the the game progressed and they got through, but you know they had to be better at just. Better all around, so to say, at the beginning of the game. Yeah, I think, the like you said, the slow start, I mean, I would say you could chalk it up to it being the game started at noon Eastern time and that, but this is the third game in third game this season that we've had a slow start that we haven't been able to come back from. So you got to start questioning if it's why they keep having slow starts and you could chalk it up to the lack of chemistry between the teams. But there's definitely something there where, for whatever reason, this team isn't ready to play when the ball gets tipped and the second half they come out, guns a-blazing, and they just run out of gas the last couple minutes. But if this team could put together a full 40 minutes, if they put together a full 40 minutes, they definitely would have won that game on Sunday. But it's just it's disheartening to see that they can turn it on late in the game but they can't play with it the whole way exactly and i mean you know obviously uh we found out in that game that uh fats russell was uh having an issue an issue with his heel you know so obviously he was having a little bit of trouble getting the ball up i think he was like oh for eight in the first half on threes and and 
you know, couldn't get a good shot off. And, like, once you have the your star players that are having some trouble, the whole team kind of dwells in that kind of way. And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the, the first half stats and the box score from the game. In the first half, they shot 11 for 30 from 30 for 36%. In the second half, they shot 48%. Like, it just... It just doesn't make sense why in the it just you know it's it's confusing as to why they are starting off so slow and hopefully maybe they're not getting yelled at as much maybe David Cox should just start yelling at them because I'm sure that's what he did in locker room at the halftime I don't know the other big issue was turnovers turnovers killed this team on killed both teams actually I think combined they had Combined, they had 32 turnovers each. Horrible. Horrible. That's ho- you, I tell you one thing. This this game film was not sent to high school basketball coaches around this country. It was an <laughs> ugly, ugly game. It was ugly. They at one point in the game showed the the box score with the total turnovers. And I just looked at it and said, wow, that's, that's horrible. It's like the ball just kept flipping back and forth. Like, it's, it, it was not a pretty game. But the thing with how ugly the game was, which boggled my mind, was the fouls. It wasn't there weren't that many fouls called as much as I thought there would have been. Looking at the box, there was only thirty five fouls called. It like I with how ugly it was, I would have figured that there would have been more fouls. The other thing, like I was telling you, back to how ugly it was. Some of the shots that were made, I texted you on Sunday. I was joking. Even Gary could have made that shot. Like it's some of these layup, and it was on both sides too, which. You just got. I probably just chalked that one up to how early the game was, and just it was. It was just. It was just an off game from all standpoints. For everybody who who doesn't know in the podcast, I am not a great basketball player. I never played in college, so yes, if I'm able to make those shots, then they must be very, very easy shots. Just so everybody knows and everybody's clear on that fact. But as much as this game was ugly and stuff, there was one very, very bright spot that I think Gary and I can both agree on, and that was a play of DJ Johnson. DJ Johnson came off the bench, 24 minutes. He had 16 points, four or five from three. He was six or seven overall. He, if this is the DJ Johnson you're going to get all conference play, he could very well be the sixth man of the year coming out of the conference play. He played... And you've seen flashes of it throughout the season, but this was his breakout party, and his form on a shot was just so pure. It, it was just very nice to see we finally had somebody step up. And I know we had talked about that last week, and we had a question. We had a question from a fan about who needs to bring up the scoring. If DJ Johnson keeps that up. Boy, that's gonna he's gonna be taking some playing time. I have to agree with you, Andrew, on that one. I mean, DJ Johnson played his his best game of the year. I, I will say it. But he just, the form, the shot, every time that he got the ball outside the three-point line and pulled it up, I knew was going in. He he had one of the best games. Obviously, we've had a short schedule, but one of the best games and was able to come out of his shell, which was super beneficial to this team. Yeah, it was. It was completely. And it's not only just the his scoring. He brought energy off the bench that key to come back in the first half. I they the team was missing something. He came in, hit the first shot, was playing great defense. He got a steal. It was just the energy from him was crazy. And I will also say somebody that we also got questions about that did bring some big energy in that first half was Jermaine Harris too. And 
it's not all about the scoring sometimes. It's about the energy, the blocks, the defensive plays, just getting a fresh set of fresh body out there. And those were t- probably two of the biggest highlights that I, I noticed from the game that otherwise had very it – was, it was very, very bad for us. Jer- Jermaine Harris, though. Jermaine Harris played great defense out there and and showed you know that he's a junior and was able to to make great plays and, and strides from from what I could see and, and and he had a few great post moves too which were great to see which if he could just focus on being in the post and not with that ridiculous three point shooting we'd he'd be- <laughs> he did pull one up Andrew I'm just gonna tell you he did pull one up if I remember and, correctly, and I screamed though, I, I screamed the whole time. I, was like, I think no! it was late in the shot. I, I don't think we can get mad at him. I think that one was late in the shot clock, and he just had to get one up so they didn't get the turnover. He hit rim, though, so I got to give yeah. it to him. At least he hit rim. <laughs> but with with DJ Johnson breaking out, we do have bad news that really sucks. The injury bug did bite URI, and it bit us pretty badly, according to his mother. We do want to preference this. Nothing has been released by the university, but... Makai Mitchell's mother did tweet out that her son will be out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, it's a really – it has not been confirmed by URI. Obviously, a lot of these injuries don't get confirmed, right? We do find them out from other sources. But, yes, uh, he's supposed to be out for four to six months. Uh, it was a non-contact injury. Uh, it did look almost uh, on the replay that he kind of tripped over his own foot and then kind of landed on his knee and then went down. Uh but did have to get helped up, uh, and then later in the game did uh, arrive back on, I wouldn't call it the bench this year because they're more like chairs, uh, arrived back on the, the section, the team section, that's what I would call it. Uh, he arrived back on the team section uh, with a, not a brace, but almost like something that looked like if you tore your ACL, like one of those braces, and it, it, it was, you knew that something was not right, uh, but that news did come out on Tuesday that he will be out for the rest of the season at least four to six months uh, with a non-contact injury. And that's, that's a big one for us. It's sad to see he was, having, he was adjusting to the URI program so great. And luckily we have the depth to off with it, but I feel terrible for the kid. And it just – with those non-contact injuries are always scary. I, I know I, tw- I texted you that right after it happened, and I was like, non-contact usually is the ACL or something bad. And – Sure enough, it was bad, and feel bad for the kid. I hope he knows Rody Nation's behind him, and he rehabs, and he can get a red shirt so he's eligible another year, and he brings us back to the promised land, a la E.C. Matthews. So there's definitely history there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just closing out, obviously, with this Western Kentucky game, because, um, you know, obviously, final score, Western Kentucky 68, URI 65, uh, Charles Bassey, uh had 13 points, 9 rebounds, 5 blocks, which doesn't surprise us, obviously. Uh, and then DJ Johnson, 16 points. Fats Russell with 14 points, uh, obviously. And it doesn't surprise me on that. URI did shoot 33% from the three-point line, 42% from the field. So uh, not a great game. A learning game is what I would say. But I, I think that it's something that, they have to go through, you know, uh, Coach Cox said after the game that uh, we're not inter- that interested in records. We go out every game to win. We try to get the best seven or eight games. I think it's evident we can play with just about anybody. And that's keyword. He said eight. So there could be one more next week. As of right now, recording it on 
the blizzard of 2020, there's still there's still a chance for one more game. The last thing I did want to bring up in relation to this, because it finally sparked my notice and wanted to do some research. Where in the world has Malik Bart- Martin been? He played eight minutes on Sunday. Malik Martin did not score on Sunday. I just I don't know what's up with him. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe maybe he's just not adjusting to the system well. It just it boggles my mind for somebody whose brother was a URI legend to be struggling like he is so far. It's concerning me a little bit, but the one thing that I will say is I think that he's getting used to the system. Obviously, he did uh, go into the starting role against Western Kentucky, but I mean, I, it concerns me a little bit. You know, eight minutes. Why did he only play eight minutes? We don't know, right? No one's too concerned. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe, you know, Cox wanted to change things around, kind of give him some rest. Who knows, right? But I, Or it's the fact that DJ Johnson was going off. Yeah. But there's definitely something wrong with Malik Martin's game. I mean, don't get me wrong. He has had great games so far. I know against Arizona State, he played pretty well. He played pretty well against Boston College. Played pretty well against Seton Hall, I think, I believe. It's just, for some reason, it's last couple games, I don't know if it's because it's been tougher comp- competition, but ever since we left the bubble, he hasn't been he hasn't been himself, and I just hope he can get it back and for conference play. Maybe... Maybe that has something to do with it. The competition we've been playing has been more fierce, and now that we'll get into the A-10, he'll be able to rise up like he did when he was with Charlotte. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the the one thing to remember is that it is still early. We don't want to jump into too many conclusions right now, um, but obviously it's it's something to keep an eye on on that. But the final score from Sunday in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Western Kentucky, 68, URI, 65. So as Gary and I were getting ready to record our episode this evening, we had some great news come across our Twitter feeds that the NCAA decided that all transfers will be, across all sports, will be eligible to immediately play this year. And that will happen to affect URI because we have one transfer that now is eligible that... URI could very much use an Alan Bertrand, the uh, 6'5 junior guard from Townsend, Alan Bertrand. Yep, that is uh, some very exciting news. The NCAA Division I Council uh, granted waivers to allow D1 transfer student-athletes in all sports to compete immediately. Uh, a quote from the vice chair of the committee said, We are thrilled at passing the blanket waiver as we believe it is in line with the D1 uh, ensuring that all of our student-athletes have the best opportunity to thrive academically and athletically. In a time of great uncertainty amidst the pandemic, we feel it is in our best interest to grant immediate eligibility for those who have transferred to support their mental health and well-being. So, in the words of John Rothstein, it's like we're giving out seedless watermelons on the 4th of July, but it's more like we're giving away seedless watermelons in December, huh? Yeah, it's... It's been, I know it's been a conversation for years about what to do with this transfer rule. I know there are very opposite opinions about this, whether or not it's going to be a feeding frenzy for all the major programs and the mid-major programs. Like, I know there's a few, last year it hurt us. We got pickpocketed because people thought that this rule was going to pass in November, and then... With everything going on, they just start passing out waivers and waivers. We knew that. And 
I just, I don't know. It could, from a mid-major standpoint, I think it's going to hurt long-term because you're going to have these kid, these high school kids come to high, come to college and look at UMass, for example. Trey Mitchell, he wasn't highly recruited out of Woodstock Academy. He went to, he's gone to UMass, had a great freshman year. He's off to a great start this year. He had 31 points today against LaSalle. If he keeps this up, if there's no waivers, he could have the pick of the school to go to next year. So, I, so Andrew, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one, right? This rule has been talked about for a couple of years now. It had a lot of traction in November, a lot of traction through the pandemic around June, uh, where the vote got pushed back until obviously now, and they went through and did make that decision, right? Now, it can hurt us. But it also can help us, right? But before we get into, it's not. I think the big, the big thing that a lot of people are missing, it's, it's not just a big sport issue. It's not just your men's basketball and your college football. This rule affects every single college athlete out there, and there's some college athletes who are getting recruited by schools so far away that are getting the scholarship and that's their only way to go to college for like swimming or soccer. And then they get out there, they perform well and a school closer to their home wants them to transfer it. Like there's, there's definitely good and badness of it. I just think, I just think that it's going to hurt the mid major basketball programs and the football programs. And it's going to help all those smaller sports, which is great to see for some of those some of those players out there. So so the only thing that I will say in the idea, because I do think that this should have been a rule for some time, right? I agree that there the players, you know, should be get the opportunity to transfer. I think that you should be allowed one transfer with with no penalty, right? So one transfer where you can transfer to another school. You can you can go there, you know, you can move to, to whatever it is in whatever sport it is. But I feel that is if it's going to be a rule where it's going to be a lot of the time, they're going to see people floating left and right, right? And then the years of eligibility and everything gets all you know convoluted from there. But I, I think you should be allowed one transfer. Now, yes, we did get super pickpocketed last year. We lost a lot of players, right? We did gain a lot of players too. So, you know, it, it, it is a slippery slope and that's what makes it difficult. Like I am greatly excited you know we got lucky that the only pr- problem that uri had was alan bertrand right we're the only school in rhode island uh brown bryant um pc and us alan bertrand is the only one who didn't get uh an, a waiver so well, i will say that they didn't from what i read at the beginning of the year they didn't apply for a waiver for him at first and i also think this whole waiver thing before we get into how this affects uri and alan bertrand in the big scoring punch it could bring us off the bench or if he gets put into the starting lineup. I wonder how this is going to affect the conversation of whether or not players deserve to get paid or perks and all that stuff because you got to think, we'll use Trey Mitchell for an example. If there's blue bloods out there that want him to come and there's no waiver or anything, what are these schools going to offer him to come to their school like it could it could turn into do players get paid and all that stuff it's just a very slippery slope that this this rule could lead to exactly like it's going to lead to it, it could lead to a number of things and and that's what i think is the tough part right and i also think that's the reason why there's a lot of hesitation with this rule 
Like I think that people, I think that it could open up to being a whole number of things and, and then open up another can of worms potentially. And, I, and and that's where I get it, right? I understand that part, why people would be concerned that, you know, it could lead to, well, how do you, how do we get Trey Mitchell out of UMass to go play somewhere like Duke? You know, do we offer him money? Do we offer him a scholarship endorsement deal? Whatever, you know, it could lead to something like that. So it gets, it gets, it gets difficult, but I, it, for this year with everything that's happened, I think that the NCAA is very smart for making this decision, uh, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of, of all student athletes. Um, and I think that it, it will benefit them greatly in the long run for doing this. I just think that they need to figure out after this year if it's something that they're going to keep, so to say. And if they do keep it and keeping up with the Trey Mitchell thing, I would love to see Trey Mitchell transfer to Michigan. Oh for my, my gosh. Selfish, for my yeah. selfishness. So, so for anyone who doesn't know on the podcast, Andrew loves URI, Rhode Island born, Rhode Island bred, and will be there until he's Rhode Island dead. But he has a very, very, very soft spot for the Michigan basketball team. So back to how this whole transfer rule affects URI. They had one transfer that did not get a waiver to play this year. And with the way injuries has happened so far this year and us needing a scoring punch. I think this is great because it gives us Alan Bertrand off the bench, who was named to the all CAA third team last year. He led the conference in free throw percentage at 88.6%. Um, he was 11th in scoring at 13 points a game, 13th in three point field goal percentage at 38 38.7%. He started all their games, averaged about 30 minutes. He made 46 three pointers. Last year, he scored in double figures 20, 23 times, and he's just a walking bucket from everything that I can gather. He also he can play defense. He had three steals a few games, few rebounds. He's he's a very tough two way player, especially at six five, two hundred pounds. He can mix it up with the best of them, and that's exactly what URI needs coming off the bench or in the starting lineup. They need they need somebody else who can score and. I think Alan Bertrand's that, and it's going to be a blessing in disguise, and I can't wait to see how Cox uses him. Here, here the, the important question, and something that we don't know, obviously with the injury, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Do we think that we're going to add Alan Bertrand to the mix now? Right. Or are they going to be are they going to go through and redshirt him and hold off like they wanted to? Like they were they were planning on not playing him because obviously he didn't get a waiver. So do we think that Cox says, "Okay, you know, we're going to we're going to put him in the lineup and add him in and have him be that player off the bench or or we hold on to it for a little bit and kind of see what happens." That's the the questions that I have. And obviously, we don't know that answer, but I think I think David Cox does know that if answer. If I'm David Cox and I'm that coaching staff, I would play him. He's he's too talented not to play and yo to the kid. He trust he came to us, he wants to play ball. We Heck, I know I, this is going to sound terrible, but we lost a player to injury for the rest of the year, and we got another one. It's like a free agent signing. So, and he can score. We Lord knows we need scoring, and I think I think it would be a mistake not to play him. Theoretically speaking, you could bring him off the bench with, and you'd have a whole nother guard set you could bring in. And just I think we could go small with a bunch of these teams in the A10. You can, you can shoot. You can strike fear into your, into your opponent by shooting from distance. That'll open up the paint for, 
for uh, our bigs to keep working on the post. Don't get me wrong. I want to play him, right? I, I agree that, and as terrible as that phrase sounded, Andrew, like it's true, right? You lose a player, but we, we did go through and get another one, and, and he'll have that ability to play. But I think that they should use him. A great comparison I do have for this, Gary, though, is Antoine Walker from last year. This is around the same time that Antoine Walker came in. It's, they know how to integrate another, a new body into the into the system. He's been practicing with the team since June, so it's exactly like the Antoine Walker situation. And look how well Antoine adjusted to us in playing with us. Well, exactly, and, and that's a perfect example, right? So I think that in the end it's going to benefit us, right? I think it's going through. And, and you know it's funny looking it up now, right? He's a junior, so we shouldn't redshirt him. He should get that playing time, like – and, and I think he'll look really good. Like I think he'll, I think he'll do a really good job. Like I think that he's gonna be, be beneficial. It's somebody that we we need. Like it, it will definitely a hundred and ten percent benefit us. So I, I I think we should start him, but I, not start him. Sorry, I think we should play him off the bench. And he's another Philadelphia kid, so you know he's got that Philadelphia toughness that you or I loves, especially with fat. So you got to think that there's some history there. So. Would, can we start him against St. Joe's? I just, I'm just saying that. Can we start him against St. Joe's? Our all Philly lineup, and then have him take the cover <laughs> up to the hawk. Yeah, maybe oh. young, but I still remember that. I know that hawk story. That clip got pulled up the other day on Twitter, and I laughed because I haven't seen it in a long time, and it is great. It is a great clip. But no, I do think that Alan Bertrand closing it out. Alan Bertrand uh, will make a huge difference. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, what happens on Rody's first conference game on Friday and see if he does come into the lineup or what they're going to do. Uh, there hasn't been any anything as of this recording on what URI plans to do. Uh, nothing at, at this point that we know. Uh, we know as much as you guys know at this point. But who knows by Friday, maybe we'll see that he will be uh, added to the rotation. Gary and I just love to hope for the best, which I think I think the quite it's simple. Alan Bertrand, he has the scoring punch. If it was, if I was the coach, I would play him. What do you got to lose? And but just leads us into another debate that I've noticed on Twitter that has been picking up a lot of steam, and rightfully so. Should Ishmael Leggett be getting more playing time and/or starting? And one thing that I can compare this to is, and a lot of the recent roadie fans will know this is the Jeff Doughton, Jarvis, Garrett situation from a few years back. And I know that's different because Jarvis was injured and Jeff had to take over, but there's a scary amount of similarities to Jeff Doughton and Ishmael Leggett. They both went to the same high school. They both look wise beyond their years. They both look calm. They do not – They both, both their freshman years, they did not look like freshmen. I remember Jeff's freshman year – in the NCAA tournament, he was he carried us against Creighton and almost pulling off that upset against Oregon. If you can get that at Ishmael Leggett, heck, he's already been he won the first Rookie of the Week award. Like, don't get me wrong, I love Jeremy Shepard and all, but the way Jeremy Shepard against Western Kentucky was one for five with three points. Ishmael Leggett had two steals, three assists, seven points, and was three from four from the field. On top of what he did against Seton Hall last week, Ishmael Leggett is playing his way into more playing time, whether it's from the starting lineup or off the bench. But I'll, I'll, I would, if it was me, I would start Ishmael. Let him play with the upperclassmen. 
And that, and I think if that goes back to the Jeff take, you had Jared Terrell on that team. You had EC Matthews on that team. You had Hassan on that team. You had Karan Iverson on that team, I believe. Right? Did we? Was Hassan on that? Yes. Yeah. I think there's a thing if if you're playing the starting lineup with Fats, with Jermaine, and all our other upperclassmen, that'll give him an experience, and I'll be able to learn from Fats. He'll be able to learn from Fats, which will help him take over the team next year, which, by all accounts, Ishmael Leggett's going to be your starting point guard next year. See, uh, Andrew, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. I, I I do think that he deserves more playing time. That conversation doesn't need to happen, right? He's been playing very well, uh, looking more and more. And, and somebody said, oh, he's a freshman? And I said, yeah, he's a freshman. Like, what a, what a surprise. He's been playing very well. I don't think you put him in that starting role yet. Now, will my opinion change in a couple more games? It definitely could, right? Jeremy Shepard did have a slow start against Western Kentucky. You know, looked a little confused and, and you know, ish on the court, just looked cool, calm, and collected. Like he wanted to be there, like he knew what he was doing, passing the ball. Hell, the kid got punched twice in the face and hit all his free throws. <laughs> and if that's goes, not saying something, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's 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 the DC toughness that David Cox loves, and that's David Cox and his recruiting in the DC area is insane and Ishmael Leggett looks like another one of those guys who's just going to have a great four years here. And Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it's a tough conversation, right? So, what we will do is we are going to set a poll on our Twitter. So, at Rody Baseline, do you think Ishmael Leggett should be in the starting lineup for URI? That poll will get posted uh, shortly after we post this episode so when you're listening to it you can go and vote on that poll uh, we'll put that poll up for 24 hours uh we'll go through past the davidson game uh but we're curious what you guys think i just i think the he hasn't shot the ball from three very much but he's shooting 64 percent from the field he's shooting 80 percent from the free from the free throw stripe he's for a guard he he's rebounding the ball he's has the steals the assist i just Somehow, some way, they need to get him more playing time. I get it's going to be tough because of how deep we go, and maybe with the Makai injury, we'll shorten, we'll shrink the bench a little bit. But I, I Ishmael needs to get more playing time because a, I really think he needs to learn under Fats. But there's just too much potential there, and too much amazing things that have happened so far. Just the energy he brings, the smartness, the calmness. That he has. And, heck, another ball carrier. I know Jalen Carey a few times getting trapped on in Western Kentucky's press on Sunday. He turned the ball over a couple times. Shepard looked a little shaky. For a freshman, Ishmael looked pretty damn calm, cool, and collected. And I'm going to love to see how that – I know it's tough this year, but maybe next year when we go down to the stew and VCU's got their 16,000 fans, you go up to the Bonnies. Ishmael's got that it factor where I don't think that's going to affect him. And I just think you need to you need to get as much playing time with him as you can with Fats so Fats can teach him the roadie way. It's true. 
So, yes, we are going to post it on our Twitter. Uh, make sure to follow us at Rody Baseline uh, and vote on the poll. Do you think Ishmael Leggett belongs in the starting five for your Rhode Island Rams? Yes, he does. Andrew, you can't take the poll. You're on the podcast. Not fair. I'm just trying to get my vote out. Everybody vote, vote with Andrew 2020. I bring happiness. <laughs> Uh, but with that, uh, we It is do... conference preview time, baby! Ye- yep, we promised you guys last week that we would give you a conference preview this week, so that's what we're going to do. Woo-woo! We're gonna... I'm gonna... I'm gonna start off with... Uh, I mean, so I went to the Atlantic 10 website where they have all the... Uh, where they have all the stats and all that stuff. But before we get into all of that... Hopefully this year we can see some of you guys and some of our friends up at Bro- up down in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center for the A10 tournament, which is as of right now scheduled to start Wednesday, March 10th, and run through the 14th. If I'm not mistaken, Gary's if I'm not mistaken, Gary's in my hotel is already booked, and hopefully we'll be back there vaccinated and everybody will be able to see everyone down there. Was it what, uh, not booked? What do you mean that that gets booked eight months in advance, Andrew? Please. We're on top of those things. Yeah, we booked that bad Larry back in, uh, I think, as soon as it got canceled. I think we called him up the next day and booked next year's. Probably and booked it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, yes, we, we hope we hope that we get to see everybody in, in Brooklyn, you know, our favorite people. And we look forward to that every year. It's kind of like uh, like that friend's trip that you do with your buddies. Like, that's the A-10 tournament for us. Uh, but, so, we'll, uh, we'll jump right into it. First, I'll start off with the, the preseason awards that the A-10 announced with a group of writers. Um, the preseason poll, you guys all know it. Richmond slated to win the A-10 with St. Louis. Those two, Dayton's up in third. All the big powerhouses. The Bonnies are finished fourth. Real shocker up at fifth with Duquesne. Rhode Island's picked to finish sixth. Davidson seventh. Massachusetts eighth. VCU ninth. George Mason tenth. And then George Washington, St. Joe's, LaSalle, Fordham. The schools nobody really gives a crap about. Unless you're a fan of those schools, God bless. <laughs> especially as, as, an extra pair. Especially Fordham. We're sorry. That that's going to be a discussion later in the conference week <laughs> whether or not we can get rid of Fordham. We'll we'll, put, we'll devote a whole episode to them. Yep, that's that that's definitely not getting brought up our, now. That'd be fr- a, that'd be another three hours. Rams. That'd be another three hours, uh, which we don't uh, want to talk about. Exactly, and then we have our conference teams. Uh, we have Kellen Grady, Jalen Crutcher, Trey Mitchell, Fats, Jacob Gillard, Jordan Goodwin on. Our first team, all-conference team. The thing that jumps out at me is of those six, five of them are seniors, Trey Mitchell being the only sophomore. You got your preseason second team. You have Marcus Weather from Duquesne, Blake Francis from Richmond, Grant Golden from Richmond, which I'm a little shocked he's not on the first team. I remember Gary and I, we went to that, uh, we went to the Richmond game last year. Grant Golden, he's a beast. And you know what's funny is actually uh, on in Wednesday's game, uh, Grant Golden uh, passed uh, Kenny Atkinson for the 12th most points in uh, Richmond history uh, in that game. So I am surprised that he's not a first team. But I, but I think that there's a lot of talent on that first team. They had to move him to the second team. But There's a lot of talent in the A-10 in general. Like it's Hassan French is also on this third, on this second team. Hassan French. Is, yeah, that's a little that's a little That's a little I'm weird. I'm looking at the third team. You got – and they also have Ryan Daly from St. Joseph's. That kid can score – now on the third team, you got Sincere Carey from Duquesne, Javon Green from George Mason, A.J. Wilson from George Mason as well. You got Oshun O'Shaughnessy from the Bonnies on the third team. 
That kid is a monster. He's big. He blocks it. Just just the way Mike Schmidt likes it. His St. Bonaventure Bonnie's not getting any respect they deserve. I hate Oshun O'Shaughnessy, but damn, he can play. You got Javante Perkins, another another senior who is very underrated from St. Louis. And then Bones Highland from VCU. I know we Gary and I flew down to Richmond last year for the VCU game, which shout out to all our VCU fans out there. We know we love you. Um, that was one of the greatest experiences. What they say about the stew is amazing. That Those guys love their fans. I want to say we were there an hour. We know we have some very good friends with VCU, and they, got, they had one of their suites, and we were up in the suite overlooking the entire arena. I want to say outside of the family sitting behind the URI bench, that entire arena was black, gold, and they love their VCU Rams down there. It was it was loud. We got a couple dirty looks. I'm just saying we were we were decked out in Keeney blue. Got a couple dirty looks, but Bones Highland on the third team don't agree with that. He's the second team. He's the second team. He's at least the second team. Definitely not a first team. But he, I don't think he's a. I think I think that that award was given to to almost say you know you're a third team player, but you could definitely amount yourself. And to I think team. that's because he's a sophomore. If you look at this. There is only two sophomores on con- on all conference teams. Everybody else is a junior or a senior or a grad student. You have Trey Mitchell and Bones Highland are both sophomores. Like that should tell you the future of this league is in great shape. I know, talking with one of our VCU friends again, um, he always asks us, "Oh, Fats is still here?" That he's Fats always kills him. Bones Highland and Trey Mitchell are going to be those two guys. Hey, just just the way that he says his fat's still here is the way that I feel about Kellen Grady on Davidson. I feel like he's been he's been at Davidson for six years. And Greg Golden. Don't get me started, Greg Golden. I feel like he's been there for about eight. Oh, let's let's go over the all defensive team and then I'm glad you brought up Kellen Grady because I remember two years ago he was a projected first round draft pick and he's not even on all the all conference teams. But the preseason all defensive team is going to bring up a very argument that for URI fans. You got AJ Wilson from George Mason. You got Jacob Gillard from Richmond. Oshun O'Shaughnessy from the Bonnies. Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin from St. Louis. Gary, there's one name missing there that should be on that team. You go ahead, Andrew. And that's Fats Russell. Fats Russell should be on that all the preseason all defensive teams. He if you I'm assuming preseason teams are picked based off of the previous season. I'm not in the media, so I don't really know how it's picked, but that's what I would assume it based off of. And if I'm not mistaken, he was one amongst the top in the country last year in steals. So, yeah, so, so why not? That's that. That's the important question. Why then? Then why would he not get picked? And you have to be on a successful team too to get that award. George Mason wasn't that good last year. You, you or I, you or I was on the bubble before it got before the season got canceled. They were the fourth seed. All those other teams were right there getting to hell. St. Saint, Saint Louis won the A-10 tournament last time. I just I don't agree with the fact that Fats Russell, I don't know if that's my homer opinion. I'd, I'll be honest with you, haven't really watched George Mason play. But all those other, I know Gillard, he's, I remember that matchup. Gillard and, Gillard and Fats Russell were going at it toe for toe, steel for steel last year at the Ryan Center. Oshun O'Shaughnessy can block like there's no blocking before. And French and Goodwin tore us up on the board. So I have no problem with any of those last year. I just, I just, he's a senior. I just, it, 
I don't know. I think Fats Russell should be on that team with the amount of steals that he has per game. He, I want to say what he's like fifty steals away from being the all-time blocks steals leader in the in the uh, in Rhode Island history. Exactly. So he should be he should be on that all defensive team. Now, obviously, before you start talking about you know Kellen Grady and and that, there's one thing that you brought up when you were bringing up uh, the a uh, ten you know rankings that they think that where the team's going to finish. VCU at nine, really? At nine? That that's oh, and they think that UMass like don't get me wrong. Trey Mitchell is Trey 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 Trey, Trey Mitchell is the the calling of God. I understand UMass that, is going to be a very like, good team. This you're you're going to tell me that VCU is going to be ninth. That team, uh, you know what's funny? They they can look they can look like they will not catch you, and all of a sudden they just turn the gears on and you're screwed. Like it, yeah, and. I'm looking at the Ken Palm rankings for the A-10, and the Ken Palm rankings do not add up with the preseason poll. It has, it has, it has St. Louis at 37, Richmond at 58, Dayton at 62, VCU at 63, URI at 73, the Bonnies at 74, Davidson at 78, Duquesne at 83. You go to the preseason poll, you have Duquesne finishing fifth. Like it's just, I Duquesne. Duquesne being at five boggles my mind because Duquesne always chokes every single year. I think VCU is underrated. I think I really do think UMass is underrated. I know they've been our punching bag for the last few years, but I think UMass is going to shock a lot of people. Davidson always shocks people. Bob McKillop goes to Kazakhstan to get players. He's got a freshman on his team this year. What's his name? Uh, Sam Meniga from from Manga Manga from New Zealand. How the heck did he <laughs> recruit a freshman in a pandemic from New Zealand? Is my question. And Davidson also has another player from who by the name of Hungju Lee from South Korea. Davidson goes international with their players, and I don't get how they do it every freaking year. But oh. Oh, let me let me let me read this right. So they have some. They have Sam Mango from Auckland, New Zealand. Han Jung Lee from Yungin City, South Korea. Uh, David Christensen from Arge, Arhus, Denmark, uh, and then David Sezapowicz uh, from Gothenburg, Sweden. Literally, and and Nelson Bochi Gidem from London, England, and somebody from Austria. Like like they <laughs> their team is everybody from overseas. Like. <laughs> there, so you could nickname Davidson the Around the World team, and you could nickname the UMass Minutemen Woodstock Academy North. For those who do not know what Woodstock Academy is, Woodstock Academy is up in my neck of the woods. It's a uh, prep school that feeds out basketball players. Jacob Toppin went to Woodstock Academy, and when I tell you that UMass is Woodstock Academy North, they have eight players currently on their roster from Woodstock Academy, and you have 13 scholarships. That is almost, that is more than half of your team is from this school. So these kids know, and I'm sure Matt McCall is coaching the exact same way that the Woodstock Academy coach, coaches. These kids have been playing together, have played together. These kids know how to play together and win together. So I am willing to bet. 
UMass is going to be a scary team this year and for the foreseeable future if Matt McCall keeps dry, taking that hour-and-a-half drive down to Woodstock Academy and piping up those kids. Just uh, just letting everybody know on the podcast, uh, Tony Bergeron is still on the UMass coaching staff. For anybody who We cares. do not mention him. We, we, we won't go into that. If you know, you know. Uh, of Tony Bergeron, uh, but he is still on the coaching staff, obviously, Matt McCall. Uh, and former uh, URI player Tyson Wheeler is an assistant coach still for the UMass Minutemen. Uh, but, uh, I mean, who who do we want to talk about next, Andrew? What what team you want to bring up? Well, I, before we get – I think we need to talk about the Blue Buds, but before we get going, let's – Let's call a spade a spade. We're not gonna we're not gonna waste your time. We're not gonna talk about the George Washingtons, the St. Joe's, the LaSalle's, the Fordham's of the world. Like we all know what they are. They're all gonna be bottom feeders of the league. Like I feel bad saying that, but it's just not worth our time to talk about those schools. I feel bad. We don't want to. We also don't want to bore you. Like, but I will say that some of these schools, some of these lower schools, I pulled up some of these, some of the statistics, like the team stats. Like some of the, a lot of these schools are in the top half. It's just for some reason they can't they can't finish the game or get the coaching to get them the W's. St. Joseph ranks third in assist to turnover ratio. They rank second in assists. I think St. Joe of all those teams that I just mentioned, I think St. Joseph's has the chance to surprise people this year. They have a great young coach who's bringing in talent. Um, they're playing a hell of a tough non-conference schedule. They got Tennessee next week. They played can they played Kansas this year. I think they the only thing I feel bad about St. Joseph's is their Philadelphia rivalry games all got canceled because of the pandemic. But I think of all those teams that we did mention, I think St. Joseph's has the chance to shock a lot of people, especially with Ryan Daly. He looks legit. So you want to call St. Joseph's your uh, your dark horse of the A10, Andrew? I think I think St. Joe's and UMass are going to be my dark horses in the A10 this year. I think Duquesne. I think Duquesne is going to be overhyped like always. I think the Bonnie, the Bonnies, Davidson, URI, VCU will be there in the middle like they always are. Those four. I think I think you can solidify Richmond, St. Louis, and Dayton as your top three going into Brooklyn. I think VCU. URI, the Bonnies are going to be fighting for that four, that fourth double buy that we all know is too huge. And then I think UMass, Duquesne are going to be right there with URI, VCU, and the Bonnies. I think, I think I can very well. I I don't think I don't think Richmond's going to win the the regular season. I, I think it's going to be St. Louis. They're just too big down low. Like they, we saw that Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin, they just bruise you all day. And then you got Dayton with Jalen Crutcher and Ibby Watson. Like, see, it's, see, this is where I'm going to stop you, right? My, I think the the most overrated team of the A10 is going to be Dayton. I really do. Really, I really do. So I think, and and again, and I, I feel this way, and I know a lot of other people don't. I think that without Obi Toppin, that the Dayton Flyers are going to. Not gonna, they're not gonna make too much noise. Don't get me wrong, I don't think that they're gonna drop into like eight or I just woke a oh, yeah. I don't think that they're gonna drop all the way to eight, so to say, but I don't think that they're gonna be in the top four, no chance. But I, I do think, I think they're gonna be in like a six seed, so to say. (laughs) I think I, I can, I can, I can kind of see that. I think it's gonna, there at the beginning of the con, I think 
they're going to be yep. hunted this year. And I think there's going to like I think VCU, Rhode Island, and the Bonnies and them are going to be able to take them out this year. I think we can both agree that Richmond with Grant Golden, Jacob Gillard, like that team looks like the Dayton of last year. Maybe not as maybe not as punchy or has not as strong, but I think Richmond, I think we can both agree that Richmond and St. Louis will be there right at the top. Richmond, I don't know how they do it. I remember two years ago, they yeah, wanted to I fire. Have no, I have no clue. They, they were, were horrible they were two horrible. years ago. They wanted to <laughs> fire Mooney and set, cut, I don't even know. And now now, now they want to give them a contract Now they're extension. nationally ranked. I would, say, I would say Richmond and St. Louis, I don't know who's going to finish in first, who's going to finish in second, but those teams are going to be one to it. And not for nothing. I don't really want to be number one going into the conference tournament. We can – I think, nope. I can't remember nope. – I mean, probably last year it would have changed with Dayton, but I can't remember the last time a number one seed won the conference tournament. We didn't win it when we were the one seed. We upset VCU that year. I mean, I'll take two, but I think we – Exactly. Exactly. And, and, Andrew, we've seen this time and time again, right? When it comes down to the conference tournament, the number one seed always loses in that first game. It's like a common thing. because they know that they're a lock into the tournament, so they're not – and I think you saw that with VCU the year that we played them. And I know when we went to Pittsburgh – Dayton was number Dayton was the number one seed. They were playing before our game. We watched that game against Davidson. They did not have the energy. For whatever reason, the one seed just feels like they, they're entitled and deserve to be there. So I would not want to be the one seed going into Brooklyn. Exactly. I agree. So I but I do think that St. Louis is going to make uh, a run. They they are big down there. And I again I'm scared of Hassan French. Like I am, and Travis Ford's no. one hell of a coach. I know he's. I know everybody doesn't like him. He's an a hole, but he is a great coach. I will say the A ten is full of a hole coaches, but damn, we got some good coaches. Exactly, but I, I I think that this year's conference. I think a lot of people have us as a sleeper conference, and I'm and I'm okay with that. You know this what I, is, I yeah. want? You know what? I like being the underdog, but I would be. Well, I I love how you bring up that sleeper thing because I. The non-conference has been well. First off, we have so many players on watch lists. We have Jalen Crutcher and Fats Russell on the Nate Smith Trophy and Wooden Award watch list. We have that. We have Crutcher, Gillard, and Fats on the Bob Cousy Award list. Jerry West. We have Kellen Grady, Jordan Goodwin. We have Trey Mitchell and Hassan French on the Carl Malone watch list. We have Grant Golden on the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar watch list. Like. And we've had so many non-conference wins this year, it's not even funny. We have wins over Kentucky, LSU, Seton Hall, San Francisco, Northern Iowa, UNLV. And we still have – we missed against Arizona State, Texas, Providence, Penn State. Like, those are some blue blood programs that the A-10s beating and taking to the wire. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this conference plays out over the next two months. The, the one thing we're also seeing this week – uh, Andrew, obviously, you know, some teams have started conference play because, you know, 2020 scheduling is not fun. Uh, so, you know, obviously we had a couple games happen. Uh, UMass played, a couple other teams played already. Uh, but the real conference play doesn't really start until the 30th uh, of November where we have every team in the A-10 playing. Uh, but That's my favorite day of the year. <laughs> I, I know you're excited about that one. Uh, but we did also have this next week coming up 
a huge non-conference week for the A-10, right, Andrew? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have, heck, it starts tomorrow. St. Louis played, or it started last night. St. Louis played NC State. Uh, Who else we got? We got Dayton playing Ole Miss. St. Louis playing Minnesota again. UMass gets Bryant. I mentioned St. Joseph plays Tennessee. Buffalo's playing the Bonaventures. LaSalle's playing Maryland. Davidson's playing Vanderbilt. VCU's playing LSU. That's all before Christmas. And who knows? There could be more games added. I know you or I said that they're looking for a game. That should just tell you that how strong the A-10 is, that all these blue blood programs are coming in to play the A-10. It's just it's crazy, and I think it's going to make for one hell of a conference season that all these teams are going to be battle-tested, and then they're going to go out and play 18 games. Those are going to be 18 bruised nights. Like those trainers and those ice baths better be ready after those games because there's not going to be very many walk in the parks this year in the A-10. I, I do think I'm, I'm so happy with the A-10 for how they've gone through and scheduled this year. They've done a great job, and I, I think that that's going to benefit us when it does come down to March with quality wins and making these teams look very, very good. Uh, and you know what? Let, I think it's let, also going to help in recruiting, too, because it's going to say that, oh, the A-10, the A-10's right there as a mid-major conference. All these players are going to want to come play because they still play the big teams, and they have one heck of a conference conference schedule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think that they everybody should pay attention to the Atlantic 10 conference. I think that they everybody wants to call us a sleeper, but, you know, when it comes down in the next month or two, it's going to be eyes watching the A-10 and, and, you know, hoping that we can get multiple teams for the NCAA tournament. Gary, so now it's time. It's prediction time here on the Roadie Baseline. Ooh. I like So before time. we get into the fun of Selection Sunday, once again, Selection Sunday will be on March 14th. Fingers crossed we get to Selection Sunday. Before we get to Selection Sunday, there's a tournament. So what do you think? Give me your top four, Gary. Top four in the A-10. The, this one's going to be uh, a little tough, right? But obviously, St. Louis, uh, I think, is going to win the conference tournament. Richmond is going to be the two seed. Um, I think... So this is where it gets tough, right? I want to say the the third seed is going to be UMass. I'm going to Whoa. go out on a limb. Whoa, I'm going to go out a, on a limb here. That's a that's surprising. A, that's, that's a that's a surprising, one. right? That um, is. And then and then I think that the four seed is going to be Davidson. Whoa! So I had to go. I had to go a little weird with that one, but I do think so. We're going to go... Where do you have the Bonnies at? I have at? the Bonnies at 6, URI at 5. VC, okay, okay. VCU as a 7 seed, and that's as far as I'm going. Okay. Now, where does that leave you with how many teams hear their names called on Sunday? I think that three teams get into the NCAA tournament. Uh, the reason being, I think that a third team wins the, the tournament to get in, similar to what URI did in 2017. Let me guess, that team you think is going to win the tournament is a little team that we call from Kingston. Yeah. not saying it. Not, I'm not <laughs> jinxing it. I'm keeping my mouth shut on that one. You can all assume that that's what I'm saying. But I think that it's going to be three teams that are going to get in to the NCAA tournament, potentially more realistically, too. Um, and then going into the NIT, I would say that I think we're going to have, there's going to be two teams in the NIT from the A-10. Really? Only two? Hmm. I... I, I, I think 
this year more than ever, especially with how well the conference playing and how well, how many great non-conference games we have. I think, I think there's a legitimate shot that we could get three to four teams into the conference tournament if, if the teams who are slated to be there, are supposed to be there. I think, I think everybody can agree that Richmond and St. Louis are the class of the A10 this year, and I think everybody can agree that whether it's one or two, Richmond and St. Louis are going to be the one and two seeds, and they will be there in March and have their names called on Selection Sunday and hopefully get to go to Indianapolis for that cool little bubble thing this year. Before we get into Andrew's hot take, Andrew, I need your top seven teams that will be in the Atlantic 10 tournament and by their ranking, please. All righty, folks. Coming at you. I think we can all agree that one and two are going to be Richmond St. Louis. I don't know the order. Those teams are going to fight it out all month, all year. They have senior-laden teams. They have experience on their side. They have great coaching. So I think those are going to be one and two. And you'll notice that within my, within my, uh, within my rankings that I do take a lot of pride in the leadership and the experience over the young and talented teams. Which is, for example, I got UMass at eight, I got Davidson at seven, VCU at six. The Bonnie's at five, Dayton at four, which means that I have URI at number three, which is ooh, which is <laughs> I like that. My hot take brought to you courtesy of Blizzard twenty twenty. Yeah, let's get right into that hot take, Andrew. I know a lot of you probably think that it's my it's my uh, heart saying that URI is going to be the number three team in the conference. I don't believe that for a second. I think. It all has to do with how last year ended, and I think that's the way with Dayton, too. These two teams didn't get their chance to prove it last year. They have both have seniors in Jalen Crutcher on Dayton. URI's got fats. They got We have Jeremy Shepard, who's another senior guy who, did, who applied for a waiver and didn't get it last year, so he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. You have all these transfers who came in who have played a few years wanting to get to that tournament. I th- and we think we finally have the bigs who can help us get over that hump. Um, and I think Dayton is going to be in the same predicament. You have seniors who don't want their season to end who are going to be playing their hearts out to get on to that stage on that weekend in March. And I know people are going to call me crazy for it, but I truly do believe that with – I really do believe that leadership come March takes over under young talent. Let's put it this way. Fats learned under the best in E.C. Matthews in his freshman year against that game in Oklahoma. He knows what it's been like, and he's been saying it every year since that he wants to get back to March. I think he's going to put the team on his back come conference play. I think that Jeremy Shepard's going to be there. Jermaine Harris came here because of what we did those two years getting to the tournament. All these guys in their juniors and senior years want to get there for Fats, for David Cox, to prove to them that they should have belonged there last year. And that's why I think... I truly do believe that the leadership will take over come February. Those dog days in conference, Gary, we know those days too well. Yup, we do. And that's, where the, and that's where the senior leadership takes over. And that's where Dayton's going to take over. That's where St. Louis and Richmond are all going to take over. And that's why I have those as my top four. So so you don't think that, according to the, the preseason poll, that URI will finish sixth in the A-10? No chance. Absolutely not. I think, I mean, there's a chance now with injuries – that are coming up with Fats' heel that Coach Cox mentioned on Sunday and Makai Mitchell in his knee surgery. I just 
there's too much talent on this team and there's too much veteran leadership that they're going to let these young pups come into the Ryan Center or and beat them. I think there's just too much pride there for Fats, for Shepard, for Jermaine Harris, for Antoine Walker to want to lose on the first couple days for lose conference games and not make it there. These guys are strong. They're tough. They've been there. They know what to expect. And I and the bubble. That I really think that bubble being around all those other teams that were in the bubble for those two, three weeks for that week was huge for them in being able to be ready for conference play. I agree. I, I think I think that uh, putting URI at sixth was a mistake. And and, and I, I you know what? I don't mind being the underdog. Like that's okay. Like I think that URI has a shot at, at making it big. They got to do very well in conference play, and I think that they do want to make it back to that stage of March. So it wouldn't surprise me. I agree with you, Andrew. URI will go through. I'm still going to keep my prediction there, uh, but I can't say that in the back of my mind I don't. I don't think that uh, that being third isn't fully a possibility for this team. And I think. And I think going into my tournament things, I think like you said. I think there's a chance that you could get three to four teams into the tournament. I don't think I think St. Louis and Richmond are locks. I don't think either one of them are going to win the tournament. I think your tournament champions are either going to be Dayton or you, Rhode Island, and that's going to get the fourth, third, and fourth team. And if say say you or I can sweep St. Louis or split with St. Louis and split with Richmond, and if they can get one more non-conference game, and if Seton Hall and San Francisco keep playing well. I really do believe that they could easily they could sneak in there at the bubble and be there on Selection Sunday. And if they don't make the tournament, if there's an NIT this year, I truly believe Dayton, Rhode Island, VCU, and the Bonnies will definitely be in the NIT. There's your answer for that one. Uh, now, we do want to let everybody know, uh, closing out the episode, that uh, we will not have a new episode next week, uh, obviously due to the holidays. So all of us, myself and Andrew, uh, at the Roadie Baseline Podcast, would like to wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy Kwanzaa, depending on what you celebrate. Um, and a Happy New Year. <laughs> but we will be back with a new episode on New Year's Day for you. All right, everyone. As we wrap up this episode, we are going to let you know that URI does open conference play on Friday. A little pre-Christmas hoops for you. They'll play Davidson at 7 o'clock live from the Ryan Center on ESPNU and then before our next episode a little New Year's preview hoops they will be playing St. Bonaventure the time has not been released yet that game is also at home and it'll be a little two games up on everybody else before conference play gets going we hope you guys have a great year Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star rating like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter you know the deal we will chat with you guys next week happy holidays to you and your families see you next week stay safe out in this crazy weather and of course go roadie